I'm Kim Grinnells at Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. I'm actually in East Lansing, Michigan. I'm in Tony Castrogon's seat in the visiting uh, press box for radio, high above the 50-yard line at Spartan Stadium, where Washington defeated Michigan State 41-7 to in front of a crowd, an announced crowd of 70,500. It's kind of wild, Chris. They um, say that the um, capacity here is 75,000. Um, maybe it's because the end zone seats are bigger, but uh, it, it doesn't come across as bigger than Husky Stadium. I think the difference is um, in the end zone. But uh, game time was last week, I think it was three hours even. This year, thank you to the officials, it was three hours and 46 minutes. A temperature kickoff was 71. It was pretty comfortable down on the field. So um, game time started at 5 o'clock, 5.06, ended at 8.52. But a great atmosphere here at Spartan Stadium. I think, uh, you know, I had a chance to talk to a lot of students behind the bench and they were kind of rowdy. Uh, did you see the picture of the McDonald's application for Mike Penix? Yes. <laughs> that was pretty funny. And uh, Coach Shepard was giving it to him. Roger Rosengarden was giving it to him pretty good. But uh, real cool atmosphere here in Spartan Stadium in East Lansing. But um, injuries, Chris, there were some before the game and during the game. So uh, the biggest kind of surprise was uh, Cameron Fabi Kulanen was out for the game. That was that was a big surprise on top of the fact that Asa Turner didn't play. So, you know, that was one of those things where it was it was really difficult to know because one of the key storylines was how was the team going to to play with Cam Fab uh, out and and now on top of Asa being out, uh, Fatui Tuatele, to my understanding, it didn't look like he played at all. So you've got those guys out. Mateo Mele, your starting center, is out. Um, so you have all these guys and then during the game guys get hurt and yet it still was, it just didn't seem to matter at all. It's like these guys that didn't next guy up, boom, touchdown, next guy up, boom, defensive play. It was, uh, it was dominant and considering how many guys they had out, it was even that more impressive. Yeah. Julius Bulow got hurt during the game. Um, it didn't look great, but he seemed to, um, he went into the locker room and then he came back out. It looked like a right leg and he was limping a little bit, but didn't look overly serious coming back onto the field. But, um, uh, you know, uh, I did not, Mateo Mele wasn't here. Uh, Asa Turner was not here. Um, and then Jalen McMillan got hurt in the first half and they didn't even use, they didn't need to use him in the second half. So I, I assume that was more precaution because he was literally standing right next to Kalen DeBoer in the second half. Yeah, they took his helmet away from him. He's fine. Um, if needed be, I, and they're so deep at wide receivers, no need to um, really uh, get into it and do that. So um, anyways, um, I, I think that hearing that Mateo Mele could be a while, not sure on Asa Turner. What are you hearing on those guys, Scott? Um, well, that both, well, um, I've been hearing that Mateo Mele is done for the season. Um, and I guess Softy reported that before the game too. So, um, I had, I had heard that about, a, uh, about four or five days ago, um, that he was going to be done for the season. So it's too bad. And then with, uh, Asa Turner, I, I had heard that he, um, is probably going to be gone for three or four weeks at the, at the least. Um, he had some surgery and, um, yeah. So that's kind of what I've heard on those guys. Yeah. Uh, total domination, Chris, that's the way you put it. Well, I don't know how anyone else would put it. <laughs> I mean, 
maybe I'm being overly simplistic, but when you rack up offensively the second best number of yards in total uh, total offense in team history, the second best to only San Jose State in 1996 when they had, I think, 730-some yards, and today it was 713 yards on the road, which is a differentiator again like I said I don't I don't know if I've seen a dominant as dominant a performance offensively at least in terms of just making a splash on the national stage and just completely overwhelming the opponent in a in a hostile environment not sure I've quite seen that since frankly Nebraska 91 I mean as as good as the whammy was and stuff that was a, a complete and they had some picks and they had some other things this was just the offense going to town, and I, I'm not sure I can think of another performance quite like it other than maybe 91 Nebraska. It was that thorough. Scott, the opening drive pretty much set the tone for the game. Oh, absolutely it did. And, I mean, first pass was, wasn't that to Jalen McMillan for like 39 yards? I mean, yes. And he's wide open. I mean, there was no one within 10 yards of him. And, um, you know, it just looked like it was going to be easy pickings for Washington all day. And, and it ended up being that way. You saw some great catches by by the wide receivers, too. It's as bad as I don't want to say as bad as they played, but as mistake prone as they were last week in the in the, uh, you know, with Romo Dunsey having a couple drops and Jalen Millen having a drop as well as a fumble and all those different things. I mean, they were making catches contested catches the, that catch by Jalen Polk where he's just getting, you know, hammered by the guy from behind um, for that 30, what 37 yard or whatever it was. And then Romo Dunsey down the middle for 55 yards goes up and gets it. Another contested catch. Then McMillan, the one he gets hurt on um, was a contested catch that he had to go high up and catch and, and make the play. So, I mean, yeah, I, I just thought this was a redemptive game for the wide receivers. And I think anybody who's playing the Washington wide receivers, they're hoping the week before they didn't have a couple drops, because if this is how they respond, there's going to be a lot of secondaries that are going to be torched this year. Chris and his, uh, that opening drive again, setting the tone, but I think even more so setting the tone for the game was this was really the first time this season, the running game was got going this early and that seemed to really open things up well i don't know how how really it got going early in terms i mean like first quarter they only i mean they did run for 32 yards in the first quarter which is obviously really good but they only ran for two yards in the second quarter so yeah it i think it helped no doubt but it also helped that washington ended up throwing for 375 yards in the first half so that, you know, bottom line is like Ryan Grubb would tell you all the time. He goes, yeah, I would love to be more balanced and, and hand the ball off a little bit more. But if they're giving us all these pass plays, why in the world would I hand the ball off? And it just seemed like it just seemed like Michigan State didn't learn their lesson from last year. And they were more than happy to just keep doing the one on one situation, knowing that every single time it felt like last year when they did one on ones against Polk or McMillan or Odunze, they the Washington guys always got the ball. It's kind of like when I remember talking to Isaiah Thomas and I asked him that about if he'd worked on going to the right, because all he ever did was go to the left. So I asked him, have you been working on go to the right? And he just kind of shrugged his shoulders, put his palms up and goes, why they haven't stopped me yet. <laughs> you no. know, it's kind of, no, it's what it, it, what's what it really, it's what it felt like. Honestly, it's what it felt. Cause I just assumed that they would try to put more pressure on panics 
really at the point of attack, try to get him off his spot more, make him at least throw the ball away a little bit. But again, no sacks, very little pressure. And this is with a brand new center, his first career start, Parker, Parker Brailsford. At one point when Julius Bula went out of the game, you had a true freshman, Landon Hatchett, at left guard. You had his brother, Garen Hatchett, at right guard. And, and you had Brailsford in between. So you you took last year, you you went from Jackson Kirkland, Corey Luciano, and Henry Bainavalu to the two Hatchets and Parker Brailsford. And this was more dominant. It, at least it, to me, it felt more dominant. Yeah, uh, Scott, I think we finally got a little bit of a glimpse of what we were hoping to see out of Dylan Johnson today. Yeah, we did. Uh, had a couple really nice runs, had that nice long 45-yarder. It was just too bad they couldn't convert on that uh, early in the third quarter. But uh, and we got to also see somebody that a lot of people have wanted to see. Tybo Rogers got in the game and I thought he looked pretty well, too. Definitely acquitted himself well. But you, you talk about Dylan Johnson. Um, he showed why he's he's a special player. Even on that uh, one, I don't want to call it a swing pa- or a screen pass. It was more of a, a swing pass to him. But he gets out and he gets about 15 to 20 yards and it gets called back because of a hold or something like that. But um, he showed his receiving ability, too. He's going to be a special player in this offense once he really gets going. He had the most he had the most carries and the most yards today. Tybo. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. If I, yeah. He had, he had 15, I told you carries, that beginning. 15 carries for 74 yards and and. He would have had more except for he got dinged up on that one. So Richard Newton came in and got a couple of carries and he was gashing guys too. Yeah. If you're hearing the noise in the background, the lawnmower has gotten going out. Uh, he's at the, he's at the 20, he's at the 25, he's at the 30. I think he's going to go all the way down to the end zone. But if you hear that noise, it's the lawnmower is getting going kind of envious. I've got an acre. I'd like to have that lawnmower. It looks good. But um Chris, you know, he, Michael Penix seemed to spread the ball around uh, quite a bit, too. Jack Westover with two touchdown uh, receptions three, today. Three touchdowns. Three. three. He had three touchdowns, and they were four yards. Jalen McMillan was four yards short from all three of those guys having 100 yards receiving in the first half. So, yeah, he was he was spreading the ball out quite quite well. Yeah, I, I had a chance to catch up with uh, Jack Westover's brother yesterday, and he was kind of giving me a hard time a little bit. You know, we got to diss on Jack a little bit because he was the one who missed the tackle last week that forced Michael Penix to have to make the tackle. So he missed the tackle, make Michael make the um, make the tackle last year, uh, last week, and then uh, he gets three touchdown balls today. Yes, he does. No, he 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 came out and did a, a heck of a good job, and you know, four targets, four catches. Uh, three touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, he didn't he didn't have to worry about making big long plays, even though he had uh, 37 yards total on those four catches. But 13 yards were the passes. But he had 20. He had, I think, 23 yards in yards after the catch, which is the, the important thing. You know, a lot of the time I'll talk to players and I said, if you went back to high school, you know, how good would you play? How, how many how many yards would you rush for? How many tackles would you have? How many passing yards would you have? Because they're just so much better than the high school kids. Today, we saw that in Michael Penix. We saw an NFL quarterback playing college football today. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You did. And and I mean, some of the throws and Chris Sims, Kim, you can't hear you couldn't hear the uh, rebroadcast hear the broadcast, but. Chris Sims was like, this is a professional throw. I mean, that there was one on the sidelines that Romo Dunsey, 
is well covered by who I can't remember the defensive back that was covered him. He was number 21, but he's in perfect position on it. But Mike Penix just throws it high. Romo Dunsey goes up and catches it. 12, 13 yard game, first down for the Huskies. And Chris Sims is like, that's not something that normal people do. That's something that an that's an NFL caliber quarterback throwing to an NFL caliber wide receiver. That defensive back didn't have a chance. Well, I was you know, I'm down on the sidelines, so I listened to the um, opposing team's radio, and those guys, I mean, several times just said, "What are they supposed to do? How do you stop that?" So it's just hot knife through butter, slice and dice. You take it any way, which way you want. But Michael Penix. Um, at one time, what was he? He only had two incompletions at, real late in the uh, second half. Well, at one, at one point, he was 13 of 14, and the one miss was the one dropped by McMillan on the third down. Yeah. So it, it wasn't necessarily uh, an easy catch, but he got both of his hands on it, so he could have caught it. Yeah, even though Washington scored 41 points, um, they could have they could have scored a lot more. They left a lot of meat on the bone. They understand that, but I don't think anybody's going to get too beat up about it. Well, no. I mean, you've got the you've got the play that was a touchdown that uh, got called back for. I think it was McMillan had a block uh, had a uh, hold on the touchdown, uh, which was you know grub. I mean, he set that thing up so perfect. I think it was. I I don't know if it was considered a screen or not, but it was absolutely just textbook, and you could tell how how well he set it up because basically I I forget who who scored the play, but he basically Will just Nick. went in. Who was Will it? Nick. Yeah. Was it? Okay. He just went in untouched. And so that got called back. And then at the very end, Dylan Morris, hard done by uh, the the true freshman, Tayshawn Lyons, lets the ball pop and it gets picked off. He, he, he should catch that in stride and just roll into the end zone. And so, yeah, they left, they definitely left some, some touchdowns out there. Yeah. And then uh, they took a knee, you know, inside the five towards the end of the game. They easily could have scored at the end of the game as well. So, um, you know, they left some meat on the bone, but I don't think anybody's going to cry too much about it. Well, no, because the bottom line is if, if, if you know, and I, I really think that this is the story of the game as good as Michael Penix played as good as the guys had in the ground game as as good a day as the receivers had. None of that would have been possible if, if the offensive line didn't play their butts off. I mean, that those guys were ridiculously good today on the road on grass, hostile environment. And, and like Kalen DeBoer said post-game, he goes, when it comes down to it, we had all sorts of excuses we could have made. Crowd noise, grass, on the road, all these things. And he goes, at the end of the day, no one cares. Their fans don't care. Our fans don't care. Just go out and play. And for that offensive line to do what they did was really, really, really impressive. Well, especially when they're starting a freshman at center, the first time ever starting a college football game at that position. Sure, he started a game last week, but, you know, that was home. It was against Tulsa coming into this kind of an atmosphere and this kind of a stadium playing on grass as a freshman. You know, uh, it's uh, hats off to Parker Brailford. It'll be interesting to see how he grades out. Well, and not just Parker Brailsford, but Landon Hatchett actually did take a snap at center because Brailsford got his helmet taken off and he had to go out for a play. And so right. they just throw in the true freshman like it's no big deal. And then literally like a few plays later, I'm noticing, oh, Landon Hatchett's playing left guard. Garen Hatchett's playing right guard. Parker Brailsford's at center. And they're just there. And, and, and it's just like the thing, the machine doesn't stop. It's really impressive to watch. It's hard to, 
people will always find fault. It's hard to find fault. I, unusual amount of penalties today. I think it was 11 penalties, but uh, Pac-12 refs. And again, listening to the uh, opposing um, opposing uh, radio broadcast, they said these Pac-12 officials are auditioning for getting jobs in the Big Ten. He goes, yeah, they better be looking elsewhere. So. Um, and I think that was the reason with uh, 22 total penalties during the game that led to a three-hour and 46-minute game. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that that first defensive series where Zion Tupola Fatui sacks Noah Kim. And I'm assuming, I don't know, I'm not sure if anybody asked Kalen DeBoer after the game about that that sack, but the ball comes out and it's a clear fumble and then uh, Zion uh, recovers it. I'm assuming they didn't replay that because it wasn't reviewable because it's there's nothing that happened that wasn't called a fumble, so I don't I don't really know how that how that worked. I'm actually shocked that the the guys upstairs for Washington didn't mic down to their guys and have them throw a challenge flag or whatever they can do to try to see if that can get reviewed. And Scott, the one thing that did kind of surprise me a little bit, uh, they were hitting Noah Kim, and uh, even with the 11 penalties that they had, they didn't get a roughing the quarterback call because. Yeah, they were hitting him pretty good. Yeah, well, they weren't hitting they weren't hitting him late, and that's the biggest key. I mean, I'm I'm kind of you know saying the the you know the easy thing to to see is they just weren't hitting him late. They were just hitting him all the time, and that was big for Washington. I think that got that guy off of his off of his game, and Washington was able to take advantage of it. He he was throwing some bad balls and. A big reason there were so many bad balls thrown thrown was because he was feeling rushed. So, yeah, Yeah. definitely, definitely took its toll on him. Yeah, uh, I don't think Michigan State's found the quarterback. Uh, I think they're going to look in the portal for what year is he, by the way? Is he a junior, sophomore? Uh, I have no idea, but Kaden Hauser's their guy. That's the guy of the future. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. the guy. Who's yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a he's a junior as far as eligibility. He's a senior as far you're, as class. Yeah, you're talking you're talking Noah Kim, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Katen Hauser, I think, is a redshirt freshman. I believe that's true. Yeah, he's the same year as Jeremy Bernard. So yeah, yeah, and by the way, the fans were on Jeremy Bernard a little bit, but not too bad. Um, Let's let's just say that uh, this place isn't exactly Otson, so it wasn't that bad. But hey, just looking down the stat sheet real quick, net yards rushing, Washington with 177 net yards rushing, and Michigan State, who we expected to run the ball quite a bit to try to slow the game down, only 53 yards rushing, net yards passing. Washington with 536 net yards passing. That's a um, school record. Yeah. Michigan State, uh, 208, and quite a bit of that was in garbage time. And when you take a look at the total offensive numbers, and uh, 713, 713 total yards uh, offense for Washington and 261. And Chris, is that the most, uh, is that a record, um, the most yards that Michigan State has ever given up? Yeah, from what I could tell, just looking at their school records just really quickly during the game, it looked like Nebraska in 1995. Now, if I remember correctly, that's the Tommy Frazier year, right? When they won the national championship. I believe that Nebraska team had 666 yards of total yards against Michigan State. And so Washington was 47 yards more than the most Michigan State had ever given up in the history of their program. Which is crazy. So uh, def- uh, defensively, uh, Washington with only two sacks. Um, 
Dominique Hampton with six tackles, Carson Bruner with six tackles, and pretty much evenly spread throughout the rest of the stat sheet. But, um, you know, taking a look at the individual statistics, Tybo Rogers, again, 15 carries for a net of 74. Dylan Johnson, eight carries for 71 yards, but he also had a 45-yard run. Uh, Richard Newton, we had a Richard Newton sighting. He had uh, four carries for 29 yards, so it's good to see Richard Newton in there. Michael Penix, big day, 27 of 35 for 473 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, wasn't sacked at all either. So another good game by the offensive line, not allowing Michael Penix to get hit. Romu Dunsey, 12 targets, which resulted in eight receptions for 180 yards. Eight receptions for 180. That's a good day. Uh, 32 yards uh, after catch, which is an important number. Jalen Polk had a circus catch. Six uh, six targets, five receptions for 118 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Jalen McMillan, five targets, four receptions for 96. And then Jack Westover, really nice game. Four targets, four receptions. 37 yards and three touchdown passes. Jeremy Bernard uh, targeted five times, three receptions for 23 yards. So uh, good game. And uh, Jack McAllister had two punts today. So, And he should have only had one. Yeah. Uh, defensively. Um, best defensive game by Washington in quite some time. I, I don't uh, have the stats, but uh, at the end of the third quarter, they sure hadn't given up much, and they gave up a 99-yard drive at the end of the game with all second and third teamers in there. Do- Dominic Hampton um, finished with uh, seven uh, seven tackles to lead the team. Uh, Eddie Ulifoscio, um and a couple other guys had six, and then you had... Uh, uh, ZTF with two sacks today. Um, and, and then you had Mish Powell with the, what I called the play of the game, the interception, uh, at mid right around midfield. But, um, uh, if I remember correctly, I don't have the stats in front of me either. Cause I had to restart my computer, but, um, they had, uh, 261 yards of total offense, only 53 on the ground. And they were six of 16 on third down. Yep. So, um, so they, it was like Chris has said several times, it just one of the most dominant defensive performances that Washington has had in a long, long time. Hey, Chris, I was going to add real quick to Kim, um, 24 players credited with a tackle for Washington today, 24, Not, uh, that'll, that'll tell you the kind of players that they were rolling in, in the second half. And especially in the fourth quarter, when uh, Michigan State scored on that 99-yard drive. Um, yeah, I mean, they were trying to get as many of the young guys as they could in the game. It, it was, I'm, I'm sure they're going to super, super benefit from those from those turns and those snaps. So, but yeah, I was just going to say, ultimately, the defensive effort, the, the key to the game to me was that was the rush yards. The Noah Carter came in, he was red hot, and they shut wasn't him down. Just, wasn't wasn't he statistically the number one running back in the uh, Big Ten? He might he might have very well been. Um, Scott, I'm pretty I'm sure. sure. All I know pretty is sure. that his long run today was nine yards, and he averaged 2.8 yards a carry. And for a team that at least going into the game, it it was thought that they were going to try to ball control, ball control, and then take their shots. 
man alive, Washington up front just never gave them that chance. I mean, they just stuffed them from the start. I wanted to ask you about up front because it's hard for me to see up front. But what were you seeing from that front front uh, uh, front seven? Well, first of all, I'm going to have to go back and look at the first defensive play of the game because I've never seen a defensive lineman called for a hold on the very first play of the game. I'm not sure what he did, uh, MJ Ale. So I'm going to have to look at that. Yeah, uh, again, um, you know, Scott, like I said, I'm down on the field, so it's a different level, so it's a little bit difficult to see what was going on. Were they plugging up the middle? I know they were getting some pass pressure on him, only two sacks, but it it looks like a lot of teams are trying to um, really minimize um, ZTF and uh, Braylon Trice and kind of neutralize them, which kind of backfired for Michigan State today. Well, Braylon Trice spent a lot of time in the backfield today. He just wasn't able to complete the play because either the quarterback rolled out, got off his platform, which is almost almost as good as a sack. And then um, he and then there were a couple that he stunted inside and just missed getting a sack because the quarterback was able to get rid of the ball before he finally got on him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I know people are frustrated by the lack of sack numbers, but it is what it is. I don't I don't. I don't think it's a lack of productivity on the Huskies part. I think it's more them scaring the hell out of the other offense and and them not wanting to get in third and long situations. So they're just getting getting rid of the ball uh, faster. I think Braylon Trice is doing a heck of a job. The coaches have said that he's having a really good season. And um, and uh, I, I think I think things are going to continue to kind of amp up for him. And I think you'll see him start start uh getting in and completing those sacks here in the next couple weeks i'm gonna add a couple i'm gonna add a couple real quick things uh kim first of all the coaches have been effusive about braylon trice the last couple weeks even though he hasn't had the numbers to back it up because he's been basically getting double teams the problem is last week for instance without ztf on the other side his running guy they didn't have washington didn't have another guy that was going to be able to step in there and 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 apply the pressure like ZTF can. And we saw that early in the game. They were still trying to identify Trice and they were still putting a lot of guys on him. But giving ZTF some one on one situations where he could make a difference that way, that's that's what you see. You see those two early uh, picks. And so, you know, you, or those two early um, sacks. And then on top of it, the other thing is, is that Noah Kim was not going to leave the pocket. And he's the first kind of pocket passer that they've dealt with this year. The other guys for Boise State and Tulsa, those guys were more dual threat. They were gonna, they were, they had to be identified as, as run threats, whereas Noah Kim was not identified as a run threat. So I think that allowed the defensive guys to pin their ears back and just say, okay, we're gonna get upfield and dare us to get out of the pocket and run. Well, I think that criticism on a pass rush is warranted if a quarterback is sitting back there and looking at his progressions one through four and going back again. But that hasn't happened very often all year. Quarterbacks haven't had a lot of time to look through their progressions. They've had to get rid of the ball. Yes. They don't look Michael, Pen- Michael Pence might as well be back there in a rocking chair with all the time he's got most of the time. But you take a look at the time Michael Penix has in the pocket, and then you take a look at what uh, the opposition against Washington is having uh, in the pocket to throw the ball. It's not even close. And let's remember, guys, this is a Michigan State team in the first two weeks, 10 total sacks. Today, zero. That's just like what happened last year where Michigan State, remember everyone was talking about Jacoby Winman as being this big threat last year. He was having all these sacks. He was going to be this huge threat that Washington was really going to have to identify and deal with. 
he got completely shut out last year. Same thing this year. They had 10 sacks as, as a team first two games. They come and play Washington in their house, and they just get stoned. I mean, they just they can't get near panics. So it's just it's the difference between playing MAC competition and playing FCS competition and then playing a top 10 team nationally. Yeah, no, it's just overall, you like you said, total domination. I, I you know, not only the offense and defense had a hell of a game, I th- thought they had a hell of a game plan. And, hey, winning on the road, playing on grass. Can we throw the grass myth out the door, by the way? Can we just go ahead and get rid nope. of it? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. With, with that being said, uh, the grass field that uh, here at Michigan State, that's as good a grass field as um, I've ever been on. Um, it's quite a bit different than the Arizona State nat, you know, grass. But, uh, no, it was a really good field there today and in good shape. So, um, still big, you know, we still saw some clumps coming up, but I've never been a believer that grass matters. I talked to um, Bart Fulmer a little bit and asked him, you know, if they packed uh, different shoes and, he said no. He said because there's a maximum of three-quarter inch cleat um, that you can wear, uh, and that's what they do. So you can't wear those extra long cleats like some teams used to. So everybody's got the same footing. Everybody's got the same, you know, the same spikes. So, uh, like I said, I think some people just like to make a bigger deal of it uh, than it was because it sure was not a factor today. And let's and let's give a shout out to one guy, especially on defense, Vincent Nunley. I think that I believe if I remember correctly, this is his first career start. Yeah. Came in, came in for for Asa Turner, and I'm not saying it was like a machine where you know you didn't necessarily feel Asa's presence not there, but it's you know the way things worked out on 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 defense for these guys, they seemed to cover up whatever they had to, and they, and he seemed to make it work. So you know between him and Elijah Jackson, uh, you're really starting to see some guys grow up uh, right in front of our right in front of our eyes. Yeah, uh, Devin Bryant, the freshman linebacker, uh, played again today. So that's the third game in a row that he has played. And uh, everything indicates that he will not be redshirting this year. Tayshawn Lyons got in. Um, I didn't get a chance to look at participation to see if anybody else uh, had a chance to play that hadn't seen the field before. Tybo, Rogers. Right, Tybo. Tybo played. Um, I can't – well, and Landon Hatchett, but I don't remember if Landon played before. But this was – no. I don't believe he had. Yeah. So, and they're also, it, it's looked like, it looks like Zachary Henning may have played. I'd have to go back and look, double check on that. Yeah. We'll, we'll take a look at that. So, um, were you guys, were you guys a little surprised Austin Mack didn't get in? No, I'm not. Okay. I'm not. And, and it's not because, you know, it's not an opera. It, it's not like it wasn't an opportunity where they could have played him. It's just, I think when you look at Grubb and you look at DeBoer, I think he just wants to, he wants to back it, their guys and they want to reward them for the hard work that they put in. I mean, a guy like Dylan Morris, look at all the work he's put in behind the scenes, being the guy behind panics. And are they going to give him a series and then just let Austin Mack go? It's like, to me, I, I totally understand why they didn't play Austin Mack. I get yeah, it. Yeah, keep, keep Dylan, keep him sharp, you know, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, not just that, but I think he's earned, he's earned it. I mean, he's absolutely earned it. Yeah. Let's wrap it up, guys. Uh, Chris Fetters, uh, final thoughts on what you saw today? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm a broken record. It's just, it was dominant. And like, I think, I think Scott, you were the one that probably, if I remember correctly, you said you had the, uh, the, the shortest or the, the smallest margin of victory yep. for Washington in the predictions. I think I had the second smallest mm-hmm. margin. I was, I think I had 35-24. 
and they had they had that at halftime just on their just on offense. So yeah. um yeah, did not see that coming at all. And again, you know, looking back on it, we have the benefit of hindsight. You can say, okay, well, Michigan State could have certainly gone one of two ways. They could have rallied around their situation and really come at Washington just full on fire and just going nuts. Um, or they could have, you know, Washington hits them in the in the mouth and then they recoil. And that's exactly what we saw. In fact, Kim, I'm not giving up anything here, but you know, a few times during the game, you were texting to us just the body language of the Michigan State players just was not there. I mean, you could tell they were done. I mean, stick a fork in them. And that's just a credit to Washington's mindset. Their mentality, DeBoer talked about it. He goes, he was so proud of, of them coming in and just being aggressive from the start. And, it, and it's not like aggressive, like we're just taking a chance here. We're just going to throw the ball. This stuff is all about preparation, guys. This is them, this is them knowing exactly what they want, how they're going to do it, preparing for it, being single-minded and focused to get that job done, and then just doing it. And it didn't matter that they were missing starters. It didn't matter that they were missing other players. They just got the job done. And it's just, uh, like I said, it's as thorough a performance as I've seen in, in a very, very long time offensively. I have to go back to the 2016 team in terms of the kind of numbers and points and things like that that those guys put up there. But this is even more impressive because it was on the road and it was against the team that really should have played like their backs were against the wall and they got hit in the mouth and they just they just fell away and never came back. Yeah, that body language, it was kind of like, what the hell? You know, that's what, that's what it seemed like a lot of the time. But uh, Scott Eklund, go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, Chris encapsulated a lot of it. You know, dominant win on both sides of the ball. First, I, I would say this is probably as, as good as some of the wins were last last year. I think that this is the most complete game that Washington has played um, on both sides of the ball. I mean, the Oregon game was a great game, but, the, you know, Washington had so many mistakes defensively in that game and, and everything like that. And the Cougar game that, you know, the Cougs stayed real close because of missed tackles and things like that. So Washington, this, this, this really kind of puts them on the map as like, just like last year, the win over Michigan state kind of woke everybody up and said, Hey, what does Washington have going on up there? And, I think Washington, even though they're ranked eighth in the country, I still think a lot of people are discounting them because they, you know, they don't, they didn't have a great defense last year. It didn't look like it was a great defense this year. And, and uh, Washington came in and put it to a power top five team on their own home field, future, future conference opponent. And um, I think that Washington um, has definitely, uh, given national pundits and media a lot to think about, especially when you look at some of the scores going on. Florida is down or uh, is up on um, Tennessee tonight. Um, you know, there's a lot of other teams that people were talking about and not talking about Washington, but I think Washington's going to be on the tip of everybody's yeah, tongue once they saw this game. Yeah, and the scary thing is, is as good as Washington played, and I don't mean to, you know, be spoiled or, you know, be overly homered, but uh, as well as they played, I still think they've got uh, some uh, some juice left in there. I still think that they could be better. They've got some stuff that they definitely need to clean up. So we haven't we haven't seen the best. You know, they go into, uh, you know, it's not another 
it's a pretty easy game again next week. I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but Cal um, it shouldn't be a contest next week. But, you know, just getting back to the atmosphere inside the stadium, welcome to the Big Ten. They do things right here. This place is impressive here in talking to, you know, some of the Michigan State, and some of the other uh, beat writers. They say, well, this is just kind of the middle of the road. There's some really amazing places in the Big Ten. So uh, looking forward to. Um, you know, the Big Ten next year. I'm not looking forward to road games in November in Iowa or Nebraska, but we'll see how that plays out. But uh, again, Michael Penix is just, he's a man child out there. Uh, slice and dice, carve him up, and uh, he's just making it look easy. So I don't know if that's on Michael, the wide receivers, or Grubb, or DeBoer, or all of it. But again, we're just getting used to seeing wide receivers just. Scott, have you ever seen a team that has wide receivers open like this? They're wide yeah, open. And, and even when they aren't open, they're – I mean, you're, you're right, Kim. But even when they're not open, they're still making big grabs, and Michael Penix is putting it right on the money. I mean, it's, yeah. it is very impressive to watch this offense roll. Oh, again, just listen to the opposition talk about this. And a lot of the time, you know, you get people will downgrade the defense. They go, what are you supposed to do? How are they getting this wide open? You know, so, um, you know, I think Washington opened some eyes <coughs> today. So um, uh, just kind of a little bit of note, we'll hide it in here a little bit and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But just talking to some people from UW, looks like the basketball facility is going to break ground in March or April. And they're not that far away from really having the thing completely paid for, which is pretty impressive. So they've got some big donations and uh, look for the basketball facility to uh, break down, uh, break ground. Probably March or April is what it's looking at. And uh, it should be pretty nice. So anything else you guys want to add? Good to good to go so that you can go watch the Seahawks tomorrow. Yeah, no, it's just this three hour time difference is really a killer. I mean, it just kind of messes with your body. So, um, yeah, so I'll I'll end it and head to the Seahawks game tomorrow. Be back late tomorrow night and then uh, we'll hit it again on Monday. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs.